0: Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity, entitled EndoShare, Patient-Centered Management of Endometriosis, is provided by Omnia Education and is supported by an independent educational grant from AbbVie Incorporated. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. So let's first start. We've all heard about endometriosis. Um, but what really is it, and let's perhaps start with the definition and talk about uh, what people need to know.
1: So dysmenorrhea, painful menstrual periods, are the main problem. One of the problems with that is a lot of young women especially think painful periods are their lot in life. They don't think they have a disease, they think that's the way the world is. That's what happens. Uh, so dysmenorrhea, number one, still remains the most common cause, but not the only, I mean the most common pain, but not the only pain. Non-menstrual pelvic pain, I like the words used to call it chronic pelvic pain, but now we call it non-menstrual pelvic pain, um, is the second um, second most pain, most common pain. And dyspareunia, first of all, not everybody's having intercourse, so dyspareunia is the third most common pain. And then there's all sorts of pain that you can see on that slide as well. If if you don't see endometriosis in your practice, knowing that one out of 10 women have endometriosis pain, then your eyes are closed, (laughs) okay? If you think that everybody with a painful period doesn't have endometriosis, it's just her uterus contracting, then you're obviously missing the diagnosis. So um, yes, the answer to that is yes, they're missing the diagnosis. Some of it's patient related. They don't bring it up, they don't come in, the, it, the pain's not as severe that it needs treatment, they don't want treatment. There's a number of reasons that a delay may come from the patient, uh, and this is sheer decision-making from the patient's standpoint. There's delay from the, um, from the provider. Again, if you don't see any endometriosis in your practice, you're gonna have a delay in your, in your in diagnosis. <laughs>
0: You describe some gastrointestinal symptoms and genitourinary symptoms that can go along with endometriosis. Um, sometimes they may be the presenting symptoms, but what else do we need to think about in the differential diagnosis? In other words, are there other primary problems that could really be what's going on as opposed to endometriosis?
1: Right, and that's the decision that you need to rule out the other things the best you can, um, and that's not easy. Uh, to make sure that you're you're treating someone or you're telling them that they probably have endometriosis and they probably do. So there's a list of the things that um, basically uh, can mimic the pain of endometriosis. Again, it can be chronic or cyclic, and it can be IBS or inflammatory bowel disease, uh, chronic constipation, uh, cancer. We've seen a few over the years, but not usually. Does not mimic, and the urological diseases, I think, mimic even more. Chronic UTIs, but particularly the number one thing on that slide is IC, interstitial cystitis. It mimics exactly endometriosis pain.
0: So the first is, what are the appropriate questions to ask the patient to try to get to the diagnosis? Okay, that'll be easy, wait. The second is, how do we make the diagnosis? And then I want you to talk about whether or not imaging is helpful and whether laparoscopy is necessary.
1: When you have a patient with pain, you, you ask basically the same the same initial questions. you know how, what makes it worse? What makes it better? When does it start? When does it go away? All, all those types of things. And then you might then you're going to ask, you're going to put on your general practice hat and ask the, the questions about the other diseases, trying to quote rule them in or rule them out. I, I know in this day and age imaging is, is, is what everybody does. If you walk into the hospital, uh, if you come into the ER before history of physicals taken, you have imaging done, you know? <laughs> And then you say, "What was the problem?" And they say, "Oh, I don't know. We didn't. She was over getting a cat scan." Okay. Um, So you know, I I think that you know, imaging is the way that everybody does things. But I think in 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 this, you could be a visitor in Syracuse at the hospital, and you'd end up getting a cat scan. Okay. Okay. Now. You know, but I think in this disease it doesn't really help you, and it also doesn't help you in that list of other diseases that was on that slide that caused pain, because the resolution of endometriosis, no one's going to see endometriosis on on imaging, on any imaging, or any of those other diseases, IBS, inflammatory bowel disease, probably not. Um, Now, I'm not talking about stage 3 or 4, but you can make that diagnosis doing a pelvic exam. When, they, when the pelvis is fixed, hurts. You can make that diagnose, big ovarian endometrioma. Uh, I'm not saying don't get an ultra- ultrasound to maybe help you make sure there's not some sort of big ovarian cyst or something going on that you didn't feel. Uh, but to do advanced imaging, I don't think is, is helpful at all in this disease. Now we're talking about laparoscopy. Laparoscopy and endometriosis comes in two different ways. One is for diagnostic testing. The other sort of treatment. I'm not saying we don't do laparoscopy for treatment and recalcitrant patients, but we don't need to do it for diagnosis. Um, we can make that diagnosis clinically, and the drugs are improved to be used, approved to be used empirically.
0: You know, once the treatment is established, what are the treatment approaches, uh, surgery, medical treatment, or both?
1: Endometriosis treatment is a medical disease. Endometriosis is best viewed primarily as a medical disease with surgical backup. And I think that's the best way to think of this disease.
0: So both ASRM and ACOG sort of talk about endometriosis Mm. as a medical disease with surgical backup. Let's talk about some of the medication categories or types of meds that are available for treatment. And I'd like you to concentrate on the first four categories on this slide because then we're going to talk more in depth about the last two.
1: So this is a neglected disease. If you look at that list, you think, God, oh, non-steroidals, you can buy those over the counter. That's the least effective treatment. But it's the most specific treatment we have because everything else we have on that list lowers estrogen. That's how it works. It lowers estrogen. If we lower estrogen, we, the endometriosis that's dependent on estrogen gets less. What about oral contraceptives? Why are we giving combined oral contraceptives, and every society recommends it for pain of endometriosis, that have more more biological estrogen in it than anybody's physiological estrogen? So we know that endometriosis is dependent on estrogen. Why are we giving them estrogen? Does that make any sense? And in reality, it doesn't make any sense. And in fact, what are we doing? If we're gonna use oral contraceptives, how about progesterone only? There's no reason to give the estrogen in that pill through someone who you think has endometriosis. It'd be uh, counterintuitive. And now we look at the rest rest of the list, and I'm only gonna talk about the next two on this slide. Everything that lowers estrogen and all of those next four things do, reduces bone density. So that becomes the limiting step and the side effects of hot flushes. That's really what we're dealing with. Progestions, no matter how, if it's Depo-Provera or an IUD, uh, maybe not so much. Uh, Danosol, um doesn't really lower estrogen as much, but dianosol is an androgen, okay? It's a modified androgen, and it was very successful. It does lower estrogen. It was very successful. We used it for a while back in the... Uh, 80s, 70s, uh, but the patients had less pain, but they all looked like the Smith brothers on the, cock, on the uh, cough drop box. Okay.
0: So with that, let's move okay. on. Okay. Um, and let's talk about um, GnRH agonist therapy, because this has really been the mainstay of therapy for a number of years.
1: Right, okay, so GnRH is one of the drugs that's approved for endometriosis therapy. It's, uh, it's an agonist if someone said, do you want an agonist that's going to stimulate the pituitary and increase estrogen in the beginning? Or do you want an antagonist that's going to block it? You said, give me the antagonist. I don't want an agonist. And yet we used it, we used it um, in the beginning because we couldn't come up with a, a, a drug that could be given it usefully. And, and the trouble with GNRH is um, the, what you see in red, is the hot flushes and night sweats. So that was one. And the second major uh, side effect, which the patients obviously had no symptoms of, was losing their bone density. So it was the hot flushes that made, that made patients stop, and the bone densities lowering that made the FDA tell us we had to stop the drug uh, after a certain amount of time. So um, it, was, it was good, and it was injectable.
0: It's always refreshing to see new advancements in the field. So let's talk about the new kid on the block, uh, Elagolix, and how it's used in terms of managing this important condition and ways in which it may be different or similar to uh, GnRH agonist therapy.
1: So this the first drug in about 20 years, okay? Um, and what, what it is, as you can see in red, it's an antagonist. Now, we've been using antagonists for almost a decade in GYN. Uh, We use it by injection on a daily basis to prevent IVF IVF patients from ovulating their eggs and spreading them out all over their abdomen before we can retrieve them, okay? Um, But it wouldn't have been practical daily injections of an antagonist. So they were able to make it in an oral form. And it's approved by the FDA for moderate to severe pain. So talk a little bit
0: about the way it works
1: pretty straightforward how this all works, and on the right side of the slide, you can see the telephone poles are the receptors, and the uh, triangles are the GnRH, and the magenta balls, I've been told those are magenta, I have no idea what magenta is, but I think what in turn magenta balls, um, actually is the antagonist blocking the receptor. It's very quickly reversible, comes right off that receptor, Um, but it's very quickly effective as well. We're going to look at a video video to sort of show this. I'll show show it to you in modern types of things.
2: The hypothalamus produces endogenous gonadotropin-releasing hormone that binds and stimulates its receptors in the anterior pituitary, which leads to the release of luteinizing hormone and follicle-stimulating hormone. Luteinizing hormone and follicle-stimulating hormone stimulate ovaries to produce and release estradiol and progesterone, driving the growth of normal and ectopic endometrial tissue. Drugs known as gonadotropin-releasing hormone agonists super-stimulate pituitary receptors to produce large amounts of luteinizing hormone and follicle-stimulating hormone. These large amounts of luteinizing hormone and follicle-stimulating hormone lead to high levels of estradiol and progesterone that temporarily worsen endometriosis symptoms. This is known as the flare response. Eventually, gonadotropin-releasing hormone agonist stimulation fatigues the pituitary, resulting in decreased release of estradiol and progesterone from the ovaries. By contrast, drugs known as gonadotropin-releasing hormone antagonists have a more immediate impact on reducing levels of estradiol and progesterone released by the ovaries. Their mechanism of action is to reversibly bind with endogenous gonadotropin-releasing hormone receptors in the anterior pituitary. Decreased pituitary stimulation lessens the release of luteinizing hormone and follicle-stimulating hormone and subsequently decreases estradiol and progesterone release by the ovaries. Thus, the use of gonadotropin-releasing hormone antagonists quickly reduces estradiol and progesterone levels.
1: And, and just a word about how this, how this is different than, um, the antagonist, than the agonist. The agonist down-regulates. It's not dose-related, and it down-regulates the pituitary so basically drains it of production. This does not down-regulate. It's a competitive inhibitor. It sits there and blocks the, the, the drug, so they are very different drugs, although they have a similar effect in lowering the estrogen. Uh, look how fast this drug works. This is low dose and high dose, not important right at this time to talk about, but you can see that, the first, that in 24 hours after you take your first pill, look what happens to your estrogen level. It plummets down, but not so low that you get those severe hot flushes. There's a window. It's dose related. So it happens very quickly with one pill. It's peak serum level is an hour. And its T-ma- So it's T max is an hour, it's half-life is six hours, and it comes down very quickly, and it's reversible. So look at the dysmenorrhea scores. I could show you a lot of scores we did during these studies to get them approved by the FDA. If you look at the top uh, left-hand column, that's when patients walk, in a, walk into the office, their pain score is 2.2 on a three-point scale, they have moderate pain and they have no change in their pain cause they haven't started the drug yet. And look how fast this drug ha- affects their pain. If you look at month one down at the bottom, you can see that their pain has gone. Even on low dose has almost dropped a whole point out of to 2.2. So it's down in the mild range. And if you're on the high dose, it's dropped the full point in one month and in two months Look how, look how far you drop. You've dropped 1.7 out of 2.2 on the high dose and a good one on the low dose uh, form. And so you've got very good effect. And you don't have to wait months and months to find out if it's gonna be effective. Maybe you wrong wrong in your diagnosis and the patient doesn't have endometriosis. Maybe she's just got a lot of adhesions and she's not gonna get better. You will know in two months whether you're gonna get a good effect with this drug. So it's very helpful in that regard. It's very quick, it's oral, but it's very quick.
0: So it's exciting that we have something new. This next slide is really just to remind us that there are other therapies under investigation, so sort of keep, stay tuned. Some of them hopefully will get more at the mechanism of disease. So in the last moments, I wanna focus on how we can work together with our endometriosis patients and really this concept of shared decision-making and patient-centered care. Do you have any um, pearls for discussing fertility and quality of life with patients, Uh, other aspects in terms of how we might choose the right treatment for the right patient? Yeah, and
1: I think it's communication and and, um, just talking to the patient, finding out what what she wants. Endometriosis is a disease that um, that affects, it's not like having elbow pain, okay, or knee pain. It affects your whole family, the whole everybody around you. That, and, I guess,
0: is really the key, right? right? It's listening to the patient, and then talking about having an open dialogue so that we know what the patient's goals are, what's important to them, and we can potentially match treatment approaches based on what's most important to them. So there's a website, um, endoshare.net, that you see at the bottom of the slide, and that is really somewhere that patients can go to report symptoms. Much of what we do today focuses on patient input, patient-reported outcomes. The more data that we can gather, we can figure out what is best for patients. Um, So that's certainly a site that you can suggest your patients visit. Uh, There's a lot of educational information that is also available. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Omnia Education and is supported by an independent educational grant from AbbVie Incorporated. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to ReachMD.com Omnia. Thank you for listening.